To those who claim the Bible is not relevant to the world of today, I invite them to join us in reflecting on the story from Genesis 11, known as the Tower of Babel, and how it speaks to our loss of communication and community. Advances in technology provide us with the means to communicate better than ever, yet problems with communication and connection persist. Comedian Ellen DeGeneres has made this humorous observation. People have become so accustomed to texting that they're actually startled when the phone rings. It's like we suddenly all have bat phones. If it rings, there must be danger. Now we answer, what's happened? Is someone tied up in the old sawmill? No, it's Becky. I just called to say hi. Well, you scared me half to death. You can't just pick up the phone and try to talk to me like that. Don't the tips of your fingers work? Our inability to communicate affects our community life. Communication, as you well know, has two dimensions, speaking and listening. On the speaking side, we manipulate with words, make false statements, and convey inaccurate information. On the listening end, we don't hear everything that's being said. We begin formulating our response before the speaker is done talking, and we don't seek to understand or clarify what we've heard. The effect of such poor communication on our community is one of mistrust, fear, separation, disconnection, even hostility. Our problem with communication stems back to our beginning as reflected in the stories of Genesis 1 through 11. The story of humanity there is one of love and loss. At the beginning, our relationship with God, with one another, and with creation was one of blessing and love, pictured as living in paradise. But it was all lost through, the, through an act of self-worship, self-advancement, and defiance of God. The result has been a loss of identity, connection, and purpose. Instead of a bond of dependency and service with God, humankind became self-reliant and separated from God. We no longer live in paradise, but inhabit a world that has a curse upon it, characterized by pain, toil, suffering, and hardship. The successive narratives in Genesis 1 through 11 repeat this theme of creation, not having been responsive to God's purposes and humanity's inability to recover what has been lost. Today's story is both a continuation and culmination of this broken relationship with God and with one another, related to our inability to communicate or thrive as a community. Let us hear it read for us by Peter Schell. The reading this morning is found in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9 of the NIV. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, 
Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we would be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. The reading of the Word of God. From this story, biblical scholars have focused on themes that go somewhat beyond the intent of the original writer. They claim the passage serves as an explanation for the diversity of language, or a depiction of the Babylonian ziggurat, a temple tower construction, as the embodiment of human achievement, or as a polemic against the growth of urban culture and an expression of human pride. A careful reading of the passage within the context of the overarching narrative of Genesis 1 through 11 prevents us from reading more into this text than is necessary. There is a noticeable parallel structure of two halves to this story. The whole world is, is an expression that frames the beginning and the end in verse 1 and then again in verses 8 and 9. Verses 3 and 4 reveals the action and intent of humanity, which then is balanced by verses 7, 8, and 9 with the actions of God. And each set of actions are marked by the phrase, come, let us. The structure of the narrative shows, that, shows the resolve of humanity to be in conflict with the plan of God. The common element of human intent God's action, and even the summary statement in verse 9, all center on the verb scatter. Humanity fears scattering and takes action to prevent it. Then, against their will, God scatters them. If we were to read this as an isolated passage and interpret it only at face value, we might follow the conventional conclusion that the united actions of this people are based on pride, which results in God scattering them as an act of punishment for their sin. Such a simplistic interpretation makes sense, but I think it fails to take into account the main emphasis of the passage and even misrepresents the revelation of God we've discovered thus far throughout the Genesis narrative. From a wider context of Genesis 1 through 11 as a whole, we know that spreading abroad of people is blessed, sanctioned, and willed by God. It's part of God's plan, as mandated in Genesis 1:28, and repeated then to Noah and his sons. That is, for, humani for humanity to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Given this perspective, the people's fear of scattering in Genesis 11 shows as a resistance to God's plan. Equally important to understand is 
the contrast of two kinds of unity reflected in Genesis 1 through 10, which culminates in this passage. As stated, God wills the multiplication and spread of peoples over the whole earth and claims all as his own. As they spread and multiply, they're expected to remain one interrelated people, faithful to God's purposes. Thus, the unity willed by God is for all of humanity to be in covenant relationship with him, responding to God's purposes and working in the Lord's image to enhance the whole of creation, relying on God's life-giving power. On the other hand, and by contrast, the unity reflected in this passage is formed by a fear fearful humanity organized against God. The people do not wish to be scattered, so they unite to stay together in a mode of homogeneity. The tower and city represents the people's self-made, self-serving unity, which resists God's will for them. It is a fortress mentality which seeks to be safe and survive on its own and by its own resources. Read in this way, as Walter Brueggemann suggests, the narrative is a protest against every effort at oneness derived from human self-sufficiency and autonomy. The purpose of God is neither a self-securing homogeneity, as though God is not Lord, nor is it a scattering of autonomous parts, as though the elements of humanity do not belong to each other. Another theme of this passage relates to the practice and function of language. How are we to interpret the action of God confusing their language so that they no longer are capable of understanding each other? Is this divine determinism or the consequence of the people's actions? Is God responsible for the breakdown in community or are we? The posture and actions of the people reveals their language has become a language of disobedience. What appears in this story to be God's doing is in reality our own. We have brought this divisiveness on ourselves, all because we have first made a division between ourselves and God. And since language determines the way in which we humans communicate and care for one another. The result is of unresponsive communication is a disruption and deterioration of human community. I like how commentator John Gibson summarizes the crux of the problem. Eden has changed into Babel. The delight of the world God created has become the confusion of the world humanity has created for itself. The translation of the NIV would have us think the problem of communication is a verbal and semantic one. The inability to understand one another is a matter of comprehension. But the Hebrew word here is shema, which might also be rendered so they will not listen to one another. This translation sees the problem as relational and willful, a matter of hearing and listening, 
This interpretation then places the responsibility not on the speaker, but the, hear the hearer. Again, Walter Brueggemann suggests this viewpoint amplifies the usual connection of this story with the story of Pentecost in Acts 2. Brueggemann thinks the emphasis at Pentecost is not on speaking in tongues, but on the hearing and what is heard. Each one of the Diaspora Jews visiting Jerusalem, quote, heard the disciples speaking in his own language. And they said, how is it we hear each one of us in his own native language? Again, they said, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. When Peter explains what's happening, he says, give ear to my words. And then the narrator of Acts says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Thus, the accent of Acts 2 would seem to lie not on speaking, but on hearing, making the miracle of Pentecost not a gift of speech, but a fresh capacity to hear and receive the word of God. Of course, what enhances the capacity to hear any speech is made more effective when communicated with grace. Recently, I was the recipient of such a message delivered with grace. I was at the YMCA exercising on an elliptical machine. COVID precautions require all members to wear a mask during such exercises. And after about 30 minutes into the 40-minute workout, my mask had become saturated with perspiration. As I inhaled, I could barely breathe and I began to taste my own sweat. I was determined to finish my workout, but I could not continue with the mask on. I knew there, were, there was no one within 10 to 15 feet of me, so I partially removed one side of my mask until I could take in some deep breaths in order to continue. I was unaware of the staff member behind the counter who saw my predicament until after my workout was completed. She waited until then, and after I had sanitized the machine for the next user, before she said something to me about what I had done. And this is what she said. I noticed you were struggling to finish your workout after your mask was compromised. Then instead of chastising me for violating the rules or forbidding me from coming back, she said, Perhaps you might consider bringing a second mask so that you can change out your mask and continue your workout. I left there feeling grateful for her suggestion and aware that the whole exchange could have gone very different. But because of her gracious manner, I and those around me would be safe and I would continue to pursue my course of exercise. Her skill in communication was to focus on a, a mutual goal, which increased my capacity to hear her and elevated our overall relationship. With Genesis 11, we have reached the last of the prehistory narratives of Genesis. Authors G. Ernest Wright and Reginald Fuller help us see the importance of the presentation of this story 
and where it leads next. They write, the narrator of Genesis does not preach at us, nor does he pause here and there to point out the moral of his stories. By the simple arrangement and narration of them, he lets them speak their own lesson. Together they form a powerful and profound portrayal of the problem of human life, rebellion against the Creator and against our created nature, a problem we cannot solve on our own without God's intervention. If Genesis 1-11 through 11 is the preface, the rest of the Bible is the story of the answer God provides. This answer will begin with the call of a people to convey God's blessing to the world, which we are introduced to in Genesis 12. But then ultimately, the answer will become a word incarnate in the person of Jesus, whose gift of life overcomes the great divide between us and God, and even the divide between us and one another. Jesus shows us what humanity is meant to be, a dependent, trusting people who puts their faith and hope in God and as recipients of God's glory, God's love, and grace. As God's new people in Christ, we become a community united by the Spirit, able to speak words of hope and grace to a fractured, distrustful, and separated world. A world that says we have a chance to be good again. May it be so. Amen.